0: So welcome back everybody to another episode of Erotic Wisdom. And today the Laboratory of Love is in Barrydale, in the border of the Karoo Desert in South Africa. And I'm in the fabulous home. Uh, really fascinating wonderment, just your house, Shane. I'm in the home of Shane. Yes. Thank you for receiving me today, Shane. Hey, so
1: good to see you again. Again. Wonderful. <laughs> As always, a delight to see you, Mrs. Love. Thank you, yes. sweetheart. Yes.
0: So me and Shane go back a very long way mm. in the days, my early days in Cape, Cape Town, Town, about 20 yeah. years ago. yeah. When oh. I was a little bit of an obo-punk, yes. you remember, I had, yes. or maybe I had, I had some air yes. after I yes. shaved. And you had this little shop in Lower Main Road. Yes. And you started your magpie yes. empire, started yes. there, because yes. today is the it's, it's a really big expression of yeah. you and your work. Yeah. And yeah. so for the people that are listening, I'm just introducing them a little bit about what okay. you do. And magpie is this, bird that collect a piece of
1: um, objects from all over yeah so make nest and make little home make nest and um yeah i'm when when we met you know some 20 plus odd years ago um we'd started my my partner scott and i had started magpie and we were living just in observatory, and Magpie was a little sideline, really. It was a project that we had decided to do, Um, and Scott was working as a clothing designer for a clothing manufacturing company, which had a design studio in Cape Town, And I was working for SWEAT, the sex worker Ah, um, organization in Cape Town, which I co-founded with uh, Ilza Poe, who's a clinical psychologist. And we'd... um, Yeah, it was like I decided that I needed to exit SWEAT. You know, I think that when you work in a grassroots movement, you need to work it and go with it. And, you know, you need to find your place in a movement, I guess. And I decided that, you know, I think that the organization didn't need a a male face so much, you know, it was like politically all curious at that time, (laughs) but I think not that the voice of male sex workers isn't necessary, but, uh, it was, it was just that I felt, I needed to to leave and explore other possibilities and options in my life, and I then went and worked and did some um, research work, and it was at that point that Scott um, got fired from his uh, design studio and called me up at work at this clinic <laughs> where I was working at and said, "Guess what? I've been fired." And I said, "Well, best you get your ass into Magpie because." You know, now's our chance for you yeah. to really fill that space instead of it being like a hobby and a sideline thing. And yeah, we we originally uh, had Magpie on the corner of Lower Main and Troll Road, there next to Elaine's Curry Bistro, and we were there for a, a couple of years. And then we moved down to 69 Lower Main Road in Observatory where um, it was primarily Scott working in, in, in the studio space at the time, and, um, and then we came across Sean Daniel, who's a fine artist painter who was living right above the Magpie, so it was very soon that Sean and his partner Richard became integrated into Magpie. And yeah, we were very happy in observatory. I mean, there was really no reason for us to leave. We were very happy in the studio. Happy in the library And, lone and man Magpie wrote.
0: made art with found objects. You were recreating art piece. And there was that kind of, of.
1: There was that kind of uh, take in the work of Magpie from very early on. I mean, early on it was about, about making decorative, handcrafted home fineware. And we'd been called the magpies through some crazy little article in the House and Leisure, uh-huh. and they'd, they'd featured our house in observatory, and they described us as being the magpies. So we thought, hey, that's a pretty that's cool a nice name, name. Because it describes our process, you know, of picking up disparate, shiny objects, sometimes mixing it into an organic nest of like wild colours and yeah, a yeah. whole composition of something really crazy. And so I think that by the time we – let me just step back a little bit. Before we came to Barrydale, we, we, we looked at industrial space in Cape Town and we thought, like, you know, uh, what will this do if we actually, like, you know, get an, get another bond or something like that and buy a building – somewhere and i don't know uh, the the gentrification of that sort of woodstock yeah strip, yeah yeah um leaves me with lots of ethical quandaries and i mean uh, uh, gentrification is one thing development is another you know so i don't know about what's been going on there it's all lovely and wah 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 but a lot of working class people have been forced out of yeah places and spaces, uh, you know, all around the world. And so we were very grateful actually when this building, this old farmer's co-op in Barrydale, uh, became available and, uh, we were able to buy it. And we thought originally that it would be a space that we could use. You can see here in the basement, you know, it's a double story building that we are in the upstairs space was the retail space of the farmers' co-op, and that's flush with the main road. And downstairs here in the basement, this was the storeroom where we now live. And um, so we thought this would be a cool place to come out and build big structures, but still keep the ship rolling there in Cape Town. Uh But we landed up really, honestly, spending more and more time here, that it just became evident that we should extricate ourselves out of the city and just move Barry Dale, Lock, Stock and Barrel. And that was, that was also kind of like speeded up by, uh, you know, me wanting, you know, not coping very well with an HIV diagnosis. Hmm. I mean, even though I'd worked professionally as a social worker in different organizations. You know, uh, working in HIV, you know, when it happens to you, there's a whole different uh, set of feelings and emotions that come down. And I'm very grateful to my husband, Scott, and my friends, Sean and Richard, because they played a huge role in helping me assimilate hmm. and feel okay, you know, um, and, you know, the support as an individual person, you know, and moving out. Into a different environment from your comfort zone of observatory into Merida yeah, yeah. was, you know, it was, yeah. it was good that we could do it as a team.
0: Yeah, beautiful support. So, yeah. In those days, was more scary than now because very scary. You know, now there yeah. is much more care and less and less people die for this, but
1: um, well, we never, had an AR, years, we never had an ARV program in place. Yeah. And I mean, I know of a lot of people who were able to live with HIV without being positive, uh-huh. without being on uh, ARV treatment and sure, you know, uh, that happens. But uh, for the most part, we all need to go on to treatment very yeah. quickly. And, you know, I've been positive now for about 20 years. So, yeah. you know, um, I think I would have, I could feel myself going down, you know, I mean, I sort of lasted like about nine years without treatment. But, yeah, thankfully we could get that through through the state health system. So, you know, um, but, yeah, that's been another journey in itself. Um, But it it plays itself out in our work process because there's a very strong empathy um, in the collective towards... LGTBI issues, issues around uh, exclusion, um, HIV because one of the main business positives, uh, and I guess you know uh, when when you when you're an art studio and you like find yourself in this little farm village, you sort of think well how do I begin to interact with mm. this community? You know, where do I fit in? Where do we fit in as a collective? And, you know, because here we were, you know, coming out to the Clan Karoo, a bunch of queens, you know, to produce <laughs> chandeliers, you know, for rich people. I mean, hello. I mean, how crazy is that?
0: I mean, yeah, but, I have to say sounded very courageous. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs>
1: shortly after we... We, we moved here. We had to get our asses into gear and get onto the internet proper, you know, and get a website. This was in the days before social media was a yep. thing, so we weren't Facebooking and Instagramming. We were just like really grateful to get a, a, website. a website up. And we were like <laughs> sitting there, sitting over here, like hoping that people out there in the universe of cyber were picking up our, our, our website. And which people, they did. Which they did. Yes. You know, which was like really crazy, you know, because this this website that we created was using free shareware off the internet, you know. And and I think you played a role in helping us find that it was like moon fruit. I ah, really Too, yes, I remember. I yes. remember. So to this day, yes. We still use SiteMaker software yeah. for all of our so uh, our social projects. Each each project has got its own website and you know, sitemaker fantastic. Do. So oh, yeah, I'm so I, glad I always that say I play the
0: role that I'm part of your wonderment. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely.
1: <laughs> Because I just
0: want to mention for the people that are listening and and they don't know what you do, but, I mean, uh, you make big size. I mean, mean your main piece is chandelier and light-fitting. And and the chandelier look like diamond and gold and rubies. And then when you look closer, it's all recycled plastic and wire and uh, buttons and like a magpie. And for me, this is really... As the wonderment of the, the eyes of the artist. You know, when I came yes. today to do this interview with you, I was really thinking, wow, the eyes of the artist that can see such potential creative and aesthetic beauty yes. in plastic, in yes. objects that individually they means nothing. Yes. But when you arrange them together, it's really a symphony of... it's It's glorious. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I always... When I come to your gallery, my my mouth drop open, and every detail—it's um—it's a journey to yeah. look at the refinement yeah. and the creativity. I keep thinking, how did you think
1: that? Yeah.
0: Then you make birds, and you and you arrange them in a way, and and then we look—is metal and plastic, but when you just glance at them, is real bird flying yes. and. So for me, this is really—you have this touch of magic in yeah. seeing, yeah. Uh, in the invisible, in the, in the potential of uh, of life object, and then creating this this exquisite object. And so your chandelier became the big piece that you start exporting. Yeah, it's our sort of like core
1: atom, yeah, for want of a better word. You know, if you think of magpie these days, people pretty much think of. The chandelier. The chandeliers. You know, the plastic chandelier. With... And
0: then you've got the white one, the colorful one, yes. the black one, yes. really yes. gothic. I mean, yes. it's always been my dream. Yes. Once, yes. when I'm yes. going to have my big house, yes. I'll have to have a magpie yes. chandelier oh, in yeah, the lounge.
1: Well, <laughs> well I, I want to say that, you know, as magpies evolved and grown over the years, our roles became very distinct. And, um, you know, Richard handles more of the, uh, the administrative aspects and the logistics of getting a chandelier from Barrydale to Amsterdam, say, Mm. for example. My role is really a verbal thing. You know, I'm the marketing, I'm the face, I'm in the gallery, I'm the person online. Um, I'm involved in the social projects. Yeah. And this is what I was saying to you earlier on is about finding a place For oneself um, in a community. Um, Literally a couple years in us being here went by and we built a Christmas tree for the village and that's become a regular installation that we do every year for the town and it's essentially to thank all of the recyclers that live in the village and bring us all of the plastic and all of the metal and all of the bits and pieces that we use in the studio to create the objects. Amazing. That the, so it's the really organic proje- uh, process of yes. the whole town. Of the involved. whole town. So uh, when you see these structures out here in the park, it's. Um, it's 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 a story that's bigger than the structures themselves. Mm. It's connected to a whole lot of relationships and processes and dynamics and interests and, um, and education as well. And education. You're... Um, it's it's been a very exciting journey. Um, one stream of work that's become very important um, is the narrative and memory work, mm. and that is. Uh, where people have been really inspired by the chandeliers that we've done but then they've brought in objects that they inherit so like grandma's tea sets Uh and coffee pots and bits of jewelry, maybe even grandpa's war medals, you know, those kinds of things that get incorporated into a piece so we might put like uh, granny's beloved uh, brooch that she got married in right next to a lid from a plastic bottle. You know, there's no, um, uh, there's no hierarchy, r- 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 hierarchy of value. Of value. Uh, if the if the pieces can work together, you know. So Sean and Scott are essentially the two uh, actors in the making up. They're the creative drivers okay. of all of this
0: shape color form they piece all of these pieces together as
1: i say my role is 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 more around the social interface of magpie so uh, about this time like 2005 i think the first christmas tree went up on the 16th of december which here in south africa is a public holiday that grew out of a colonial and apartheid holiday and is now kind of like I would say rebranded as the day of reconciliation but I think it's a beautiful rebranding because it it holds on to all of the history mm. of that day and for me growing up in South Africa the De- December 16th didn't carry much political weight for me. It was Mm. just the day that we were all off. It was in the holidays and we could put up our Christmas tree. So it became associated with Christmas tree putting up behavior. Uh Uh So our first gig was to put up a Christmas tree here on the evening of the 16th of December. And we'd done a workshop with kids from Net for Pret, which is our youth development organization here in Barrydale. And, um, Yeah, that led to a fabulous tree lighting ceremony with a couple hundred people from Smithsville and Barrydale. And I guess it was really about bringing people from disparate communities together. And then for a number of years, we continued building the Christmas tree and the Christmas tree was a locus of an annual event. And then about 11 years ago, the Handspring Puppets uh, Trust got involved and they, for seven years, injected puppet making workshops into our Net for Prep youth program. And our December the 16th event became huge the with parade. puppets and kids and show and Christmas tree. And it was a logistical nightmare. <laughs> Hundreds of people, too much, too much, too much. So we split the event. We Uh had Christmas tree on the one night and parade on the other. So close on or around about the 16th of December, every year, we have these two pivotal events. And from a marketing perspective, it was a bit of a thing. You know, I had like two things to punt out, you know, parade. And then about five years ago, it hit on me. That we needed to create an open art studio phenomenon mm. around this time. So we created BAM, B A M, which is our annual art festival in Barrydale. And it is three days of open art studios. So all so in the what village. what does here.
0: them stand for?
1: Barrydale Art, Art. Meander. Meander. Yes. <laughs> so you can go on the Art Meander. Yeah. We can give you a map. We can give you the website, BarydaleArtmeander.com, and you can go on there and you can see all the studios that are punctuated. Because it's around full of artists, village. Barrydale actually. Lots of artists. Yes. They're painters and people doing photography, there people doing pottery. sculpting and pottery and weaving. There's a whole artisanal uh community evolving and developing here in Barrydale, so ordinarily most of these little studios are kind of like locked away in people's homes and we thought well one thing we could do is create a map with all the artists on there and ask them at the time of the christmas tree and the parade over those surrounding days because there's usually three days that surround the two events that they would be open from ten until four in the morning, and we piloted this idea about four years ago, and it was a roaring success. And four in the morning, you mean open in the night? We pil- we, we piloted it four years ago.
0: No, we but you say they are open from ten. They, uh, from to
1: ten in the morning until four, four in the afternoon. afternoon. Ah, yeah. okay. No, I thought yeah. for a moment it was an overnight thing. Mm-hmm. That uh, okay, okay. So people come into town. Is they can come either for the Christmas tree or the parade, or they can come for it all, or, you know, the people are just coming even just for open art studios because it's a destination away from a bigger city and it's a lovely, peaceful town. I guess yeah, people yeah, love yeah, going yeah. into the countryside. But what's new is in the last, this last December now, of 2019, we piloted the opening of three other art meanders in Swellendam, Seabrock, and in Montague. Wow, and you're a
0: real art activist. So, <laughs> what,
1: what actually happened is over BAM, December 6th, 13th to the 16th this last year, we had open art studios here in Barrydale, and we had simultaneous open art studios in Seabrock, Swellendam, and in Montague. And we found key coordinators for each area, and they are now basically running their own um, stuff. I mean, I'm not still involved, but the idea is to sort of activate. Activate what is yeah. what. It it really wasn't a a uh, uh, it really wasn't a brainer. I mean, it was like. Here we so people would come here to Barry and They'd say, "Yay, we're here for the Christmas tree." What do I do? Yeah, and I'd say, "Well, go around and visit honor, oh, don't you? Can't you just describe?" So instead of just describing, we basically gave people a formula, yeah. a map, yeah, and there beautiful. it is. And these are all the artists that are willing yeah. to participate. So it's it's
0: beautiful. It feels like you're an in 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 inseminator. In you know, of our artistic expression in, in community that otherwise cook under the sun and not much else really happen, you know, like here we are in very extreme heat condition, you know, it's not that you hang out in the street, it's too hot. You know, for me,
1: for me, um uh, my kind of political motivation and it's linked to my spirituality, it's linked to a whole lot of complex impulses. For me, how I thought in my head, how could we come out here into a community where there is wealth and there is privilege, but there's also poverty and there's also extreme poverty. How could we be here making things for rich people and not think? That we Mm. had to do something Mm. because we're not really employers, Magpie. Mm. We're not employing people. Mm. Um, It's it's we stimulate activities and stuff like that. We not we're not trying to create uh, employer-employee hierarchy. Yeah, because it's
0: the same slave mentality. Uh, You're not uplifting. You're not. Diffusing creativity, the ability to think creatively, that's what you're doing. You're seeing the possibility, you see what happened, and bang, the creative mind kicks in. And that's how you teach them, you know, people to be, to
1: use their inspiration to create social interaction. Absolutely. So I make it my business to be involved in a lot of community (laughs) organizations in the village, and i do it intentionally because i feel i feel compelled from an inner compulsion i would guess to to be involved i'm i i'm, I'm involved in the health uh, committee of the clinic because i'm i'm interested in health and human yeah, rights yeah i was going to and... ask you
0: how you work with sweat was the sex worker mm. and your art mm. If they're still interlinked somehow here, that you are in Barrydale, if you are still involved with sex worker, or um, I, I, I
1: know who's I know who's working <laughs> in <Getting> Barrydale, <buried ill. laughs> they come for consultation <laughs> and support. <laughs> but um, I mean, you know, people's lives change, you know, and. You you might move from one identity into another, you know, for political reasons because you are advocating ar- around a particular area, and you know, um, I'm st- I'm st- I'm still a paid member of Sisonke, which is a sex worker uh, advocacy uh, network, which is kind of like a union. Mm-hmm. So I still pay my 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 dues, <laughs> um, but um, it's it, I'm still very close to Sweat uh, politically as an organization. My sympathies are there. i um, you know, it,
0: it. How do sex and art meet each other? What you 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 mentioned just now? This is all the expression of your spiritual. Mm. expression mm. and I see art community mm. work mm. And, and sexuality mm. Mm. How, how do you see them what is your spiritual expression what is your spiritual view who me yeah
1: um, you know it's hard for me to label myself anymore maybe when I was much younger I was a seminarian and I was studying to be a minister of religion. You did? It would have been very easy for me to label myself in a particular way. So spirituality came early in
0: your life. When were you starting to be a minister? In your 20s? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I
1: left school. I went straight into seminary. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So So. Um, and then what happened? Well, I came out, you know. And
0: out of the, the, the uh, monastery, or you uh, came no, out, as you out, out of as I a gay man?
1: <laughs> because...
0: Out of the closet. Because came I out.
1: came dashing out the closet, <laughs> and I think that the kind of religious framework that I was functioning in was very um, homophobic and... I kind of like needed a place, and then I, I I still continued with the theological education, but at another institution, and um, I then I, I then thought, you know, I need I, I need I need help, you know. I like I need to find a place, hmm. and I couldn't find a shul, I couldn't find a mosque, I couldn't find a temple where I would fit in. I felt kind of like really queer and alienated from. Um, it's like, if I was a Catholic woman, I would be so angry and enraged. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just like, patriarchal religion is just not my thing. Yeah. And I found... But also for men, you know, it's not just
0: being women, it's about being also a sensitive man that wants to love. You know, yeah. and and I think also that it's been taken away from men that the freedom of loving each other also. And sometimes you know, homosexuality becomes a choice of life that is very extreme. But I think also for me, uh, being um, how do you say, uh, be, be, be bisexual or something, yes. just just exploring yes. and experimenting. Yes. That is my birthright to love. My kind, women for women Mm -hmm. and men Men for men. And then choose who I want to spend the rest of my life with. It might not be a man, it might be a woman. But I also had the ability to explore my male sexuality with other men I, th- I feel for me what I am now in my life, is, it's our birthright and is healthy development of humankind. Mm. And then I can choose who I want to be. It's got nothing to do with the exploration of my sexuality. But I feel for in, in Christian patriarchy, mm. men were also demanded to be in a certain way very dry very linear that that sexuality also couldn't be explored yeah. and and in that where women maybe i had it a little bit more relaxed because it's more accepted that women are tender with each other
1: mm.
0: if you you know socially accepted uh, but men never accepted that men can be tender with each other you know men needs to be hard mm. and very dry with each mm. other you know mm blind mm. you, they hold the hand, mm. or they cry on each other's shoulders. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I have uh, a great concern for the state of the gay male world. Mm. I'm not talking about trans, I'm not talking about lesbians, I'm not talking about women, I'm talking particularly about gay men, mm. as men who have sex with men who love other men. I'm worried about the drug abuse. Mm. I'm worried about the um, the the violence that I mm. see portrayed mm. in our porno- pornographic yeah. world. Yeah, uh, I think it's gone beyond something. I think that fantasy is one thing, but when people are acting out these fantasies which people are finding in the public domain I think that sometimes things are just there, there's there's no space for loving yeah everybody wants to experience the next yeah through the next yeah. thing the hard the, strong experience yes. oh I've always fantasized about this so I need to go and get that and then and at the expense of a relationship I'm not this is by no means a judgment it's I mean I don't believe in monogamy I think it's a it's a very dangerous construct yes like where do you draw the line you know um, yeah. and I, I don't but I that.
0: agree with you and I think in a lot of the sexual exploration there is, you know, we search for deep intimacy and understanding who we are and, and our sexuality can be a tremendous tool of exploration, but sometimes becomes a tool of uh, disconnection and abuse of self instead of finding self. I end up really abusing self in search for the next thrill and the next possibility and uh, yeah. and the hard experience because I feel when we've been avoided of just accepting that we could experience in in a variety of way when we don't have that, then we need to search for this as a reaction. And then often the sexual journey becomes reactive to, the Christian picture of monogamy and yes. safe sex and missionary pose yes. uh, and become so in reaction, extreme on the other way and we're missing the middle path, the part of the heart, the part of caring, the part of
1: sweet intimacy with yes. other human beings. By, 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 by no means am I saying that people shouldn't play BDSM games or act. You know, facilitate one another's uh, sexual fantasies. Absolutely. I'm not not saying, yeah. I'm just saying that I think that sometimes there are many, many people who are living in situations of vulnerability that they then find themselves in situations where they're so desperate to appease, so desperate to be loved, that people allow themselves to go beyond their normal boundaries totally in a way that's actually leaves you the person feeling really shit about yourself and your sexuality and I think it's a fine line you know between um I think you know, it's between exploring and abandoning myself. Yes. For, like, for my desperation of being included and accepted. Yes. You know, it's it's just that's, that's another thing, like what sex workers can say to you in terms of their practice of, mm. you know, one, you want to keep yourself safe from the client and minimize, you know, body contact and... Um, Uh, Seminal fluids From getting into your body And all that kind of thing So condoms Or alternative kinds of sex You know Like rubbing Or doing other things That are not necessarily penetrative Sex workers have become Experts Safer sex facilitators Because You know If the If the client just wants to Fuck You know You The sex worker Have to think about Maybe Hooking into their fantasy world And deflecting And maybe making it Something else Yeah so you become really good at hooking into people's fantasy world very quickly because you've probably only got an hour yeah. in which to find all of that stuff. Yeah. Create the triggers and find the hooks and give the client an experience. Yeah. And and I think that 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 kind of stuff is not acknowledged in the kind of world and society that we live in. It's kind of like on a you know there's a stereotypical perspective of what's happening yes there's a lot of what is stereotypical that does happen but it's not necessarily all true for people
0: yeah and when i hear you talking i think you know sex worker becomes more powerful than therapist uh, and more creative in the way to express and live their sexuality that uh, it's a tremendous gift to give to a human being that a therapist would never give you because they just get you to talk. So I'm, I'm totally with you. I think, you know, sex workers are the artists of...
1: Uh, um, and what we've done in the current milieu is we've criminalized yes. the art the of art. sex work. <laughs> and because we basically live in a sexually hysterical world, globally. It's, yeah, 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 terrified we, we, we of we sex. We live under yeah. global sexual hysteria and moral panic Yeah, and this is why people can't have these comfortable conversations with one another about their own complexity of being a sex worker, being a business person, being a person of faith, being a husband, being a father, all these roles which people live out And because we live in the sexually hysterical world, I think that that makes fetish extreme. So we fetishize and obsess with all of these intense things, and it just just feeds into the paranoia and and hysteria hysteria. And there's no allowance for people to be whole human beings and to say, this is the fullness of me and who I am, and this is how I function in the world that I live in. And you know, for me, personally, it's been a life journey of a uh, coming together and a pulling together of all those seemingly disparate parts of a spiritual self of a sexual self and and a and a and yes, maybe I'm not a painter, maybe I'm not a sculptor. But I can engage in the, in the world of art and the world of creativity, the world of artisan, the world of design, craft, through these kinds of skills. And yeah, I think that that, that, takes, that takes time, you know, you mm. Have, mm. To, have to find your, your way.
0: And I want to ask you this question that I often ask on this podcast. Do you remember, or would you like to share, if you remember your first experience of erotic awakening in your body as a human being incarnated in in, in a body that feels and has desire, an experience where your eroticism also became the tool of a spiritual awakening perhaps or my full human awakening or the realization of what it means to be alive in a body that is more than just
1: being horny. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that that journey for me can be placed into one single event. I think because I grew up in conservative apartheid South Africa because I grew up in a particular region of the country, KwaZulu-Natal, which is known for its like really narrow conservative uh, sexual ideas. You wouldn't say so the way they go on there, you know, but anyway, (laughs) um, and no one can say that nothing goes on there because it does. Um, But I think that when you grow up in this, in this culture of sexual hysteria, you know, the culture of Scope magazine that was covered up with stars, you know, like really, that the power of one religious denomination could hold sway over the rest of us, over our rational minds, for so long is just enrages me still to this day. But anyway, lest we we (laughs) forgive and forget, I guess. But, I mean, um, Scope for me particularly represented a particular headspace around um, middle-class magazine buying South African men. You know, that that's where they were at. And, you know, it just shows you that, When, by the time we got into the 90s and South Africa was experiencing another kind of sexual revolution because you could bring porn into the country or you could buy it in a sex shop, you know, and some conservative in Cat looking tani could be behind the counter at the sex shop was also another thing for me to wrap my head around, (laughs) you know. Your Uh, auntie. (laughs) Yeah, it was like... You know, who were these people that were opening up sex shops, you know, because there was a lot of hysteria around, particularly in small towns, you know, when sex shops opened up, people were really thinking that it would lead to the breakdown and the moral fiber of society. I think what it's done is it's actually just opened up people's minds and got us to think about sex and sexuality in a different kind of way and you know, start the process of educating people. You know, um, I've often been, like, surprised at the naivety of people, you know, when they talk about um, sex. And, it, you know, as I said to you, at one stage in my life, I was working in a human sexuality counselling centre, and this is pre um Sweat and people used to come in for S T D screening and HIV testing and counseling and all gender and count you know identity issues and stuff. And it was like really fascinating when you like broke down, like when somebody'd say, I need to come and get an HIV test, and you'd say, Why? Because that's oh, because I did a this. And then you would like interrogate the the situation and say, Well, what did you actually do? Because there are specific routes of transmission. I was often surprised at the level of hysteria, even in gay guys coming in, where maybe there was just like mutual masturbation, you know, like hardly a risk at that time of the epidemic, mm. you know, like, like even knowing that, that the person would still go through with a test because their fear was that they would have gotten HIV yeah, from yeah, mutual yeah. masturbation. Yeah. So, for me, it's like uh, I'm constantly amazed. Even, like, straight couples who want to, like, fall pregnant. And, like, when you, like, say, well, so, like, like why are you going to a fertility specialist? Oh, no, because then it's like, what kind of sex are you actually having? And then when they really tell you, you think, like, no wonder you're not falling pregnant. <laughs> you're not lying in the proper way. You're not holding your body to hold the sperm and, yeah. you know. Or they're like having sex and rushing off to the bathroom and cleaning themselves out because they're hysterical about germs and dirt yeah, and yeah, semen yeah. is dirt. So yeah. people have got all these yeah. crazy paranoias that yeah. they hold on to. And I think that that is, you know, sort of acts out in a kind of pathological way. Is the um, hysteria.
0: That's how we can not find ourselves because that's where we find, in sex, where we find our connection. For me in my spiritual journeys where I found God, where I talk to God, where I I need the presence of another to dissolve my being. I know who I really am. And so in that sense, everything is sacred. Sweat and and saliva, the body of another, you know, there is... You know, I, I encounter the same sometimes when I do sessions with people. Yes. And so in words, in, in my spiritual environment, yes. we love the world. We love the earth, Pachamama, everything is sacred. Yes. And then someone would walk in my session room and freak out if I haven't changed the bed shit. Yes. And maybe the person before we just sat on yes. the bed. Nothing yes. is that like, we sat. Oh no, hygiene. Yes. Well, then you're imp- intrinsically saying that another human being is disgusting, it's harmful, yeah. it's terrifying you, yes. but in theory you love the world. Yeah. You are a spiritual yeah. the yogi especially. Yeah. Yeah. How they they're stressing with hygiene on yeah. the yoga mat yeah. for contamination. So, we are we meant to contaminate yeah. each other. That's yeah. why we we work as Community. Yeah. We are human beings coming together yes. to contaminate. Yes. See how you contaminate the community yes. with your art project. Yes. And therefore, with my sweat and blood too, yes. we meant to integrate each other. Yes. And I'm not saying this in the sense that we should all go and spread our disease. And it's not that, but it's also to start to receive each other as human beings for the gift we bring. Yes. And not just for the fear we have around each other so sex can become the greatest glue to bond people or the greatest fear where all your dark side can project onto the other and as you say even married couple they so disgust about each other you know (laughs) that here they are married saying that they love each other they want kids but they can't be in the same room when they having a pool or because it's disgust there are some Quality of the, the the humanity that is so disgusting, and then no wonder you can't have children because yeah. you're not really truly embrace yeah. this yeah. this meeting, this yeah. marriage, yeah. and and you then the hysteria of humanity. You, know?
1: you, you, you have to you know um, when people talk about you know hotties and desirable people, and they want to be with this person because they're hot and whatever, and then there's ordinary Joe, so out there who could turn out to be a really fabulous lover and whatever and doesn't subscribe to all of that kind of commercial representation of the self uh, is alienated in our society because we've got these body scripts that we have to either adhere to ourselves or we attach them to other people. So just to go back to your earlier question about was there one singular experience, you know. Like, masturbation on my own as a kid was a very fearful thing. The first time I orgasmed and saw the cum in my hands, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to die, you know. Uh, And I was too scared to say anything to my parents because that would expose me at some level. So I was... I said goodnight to everyone that evening, but I was really glad to wake up the next morning (laughs) when I had another heart on And, you know, the cum kept on coming. (laughs) As it does. As it does. So, you know, we have shames around these kinds of things. And then, you know, you have your first experience with somebody that maybe is not so nice. So it creates a uh, feeling in you. And then you go on life again, and you have another feeling, another experience with another person that's actually quite nice. But it's not necessarily fucking. These are yeah. all like maybe kissing somebody or getting off with somebody, yeah. as they used to say, you know. Um, and then, you know, you, you might find expression in other sexual in- or sort of quasi like sexual encounters with people. And then. Hey, maybe you find somebody in all of this and you settle down, but maybe that's not real or or right for everybody. Everybody, I feel, needs to determine their own lifestyle and pattern. So, for me, it wasn't like it wasn't like a a, a neat thing. Like, oh, that was the experience that re- I really got it. You know, like mm. God and horniness and. Um, hotness and being sexy all came together mm. at that one moment. No, mm. um, but some pieces of it mm. w- were experienced with different people. Mm. And you know, I've been with my husband now for twenty-four years, and there is a a kind of intimacy that you evolve uh, with being in a long-term relationship with somebody. Anybody will tell you that. If, and, and, and if you're not happy in the climate of you and the weather, if it ain't that good, uh, then, you, then you need to like either get into therapy and sort out your shit or move on. Because if the, if, if the weather ain't good, well, the weather will change, but the overall climate of the yeah, relationship, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think you need to work at creating the conviviality between you and the person that you that you sort of companion live with and yeah i mean and what i notice with long-term
0: relationship when that intimacy it's solid then that couple is able to offer so much to the world you know and i see also in your work with the community you know sometimes when couple are in crisis they suck energy no one can be around them because there is this struggle of fighting themselves. But in long term, when, when, when something starts to really blend and there is, it's, and, and I feel this is the real meaning of making love, you know, you find someone with whom you really make love and then that love starts pouring out into everything and everyone around you artistic expression, community work, social interaction, so that your love affair is not for you alone, it's actually for the world. It's actually
1: serving humanity. I, 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 I think it's all inextricably linked. Mm. Art, sex, God or non-God. Or it, it's all part of a whole thing. We, we, we live in a world that, Fetishizes, that's hysterical, that puts things into compartments, that creates labels and boxes. We over medicalize. I mean, you know, we just, I even have a problem with the word LGBTQI. Oh, really, yeah. It, it, it is just, whole it is like, <laughs> I can't pronounce it. I can't pronounce it. You know, what are we saying to the world? That we cannot even produce a pronounceable yes. word to, 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 to describe our... Uh, and to make the human uh,
0: experience simple. Now it's so articulated and so it has to be politically correct. And, and protecting you are of criticized
1: everybody. if you use the wrong word in the wrong place. You know, everybody is offended. Yes. Everybody is offended. Let me tell you, my darling, Mrs. Love. If I was offended by the patriarchy as it is, if I was offended by everything that people say to me, I think I would have been dead a long time ago. Yeah. And this this thing of uh, of offence, it's this kind of bourgeois, petty middle class hysteria that you know, oh, you know, everybody has got to be up to scale on gender. Everybody's got to be up to speed on the latest sort of feminist ideology that's been reconfigured to a new situation. We can't. We can't. Uh, uh, It's impossible. How about if 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 somebody walks into the room and they look like a he and you say he or whatever and the person says, no, I want to be seen as she, that they become incredibly offended. Offended? And I just sort of think, you know, how many times people say the most repulsive things to me as a, as a gay man, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I would lose them if everything was about being defensive. Yes. We, but have also- to fi- we have to find a language and a space to be able to have those kinds of conversations without knocking somebody apart and saying that they are wrong. Because... Yeah, and also
0: I think everybody must take responsibility for the choices they make, you know, if I had to be offended every time they tell me I'm Spanish, you know, when I'm Italian, every time they call me with the wrong name, I'm an Italian living in a foreign country, people will mix up my name. Yeah. It's not for me to be offended, it's to understand that they're busy, they're confused, I'm a foreigner, you know. So if someone presents a new way of being human, mm. some people will miss that. Mm. And it's not for them to be offended, but to be very steady inside of themselves. Mm. And as my friend once told me, "offended is offense is taken, not given. Mm. I can't offend you mm. unless you take offense. Mm. So... Mm it shows you are not steady inside your choices. I'm steady inside Mm. my choices People mix my name, uh, my nationality. Mm. I'm a little woman. They call me the little Italian girl when mm. they refer to me. I could be so offended, mm. a little Italian mm. woman. What you're talking about? I'm mm. not little. I am little. I'm mm. short. Mm. So people call me with the truth. Mm. So if someone call you he, it mm. means you look like mm. a he. Mm. And maybe it's for you to reflect on that, mm. if you wanna be a she, mm. actually they're reflecting to you mm. that you still come across like a he. Yes. So you can do. something, something about it if you like or you correct them and i'm gonna say okay you're a she but you know they're reflecting what they see i come across as a short italian lady and i can fight that as much as i want but But that's who i am so i can also really integrate that with myself and then it's not an offense yeah
1: it's the truth i mean i i um i've got my, my name shane okay like there's a lot of Girls who are called Shane and a lot of boys who are called Shane. My mother named me after a cowboy hero in (laughs) a book that she read. And, you know, I kind of like wonder to what extent of my life I'm a bit of a cowboy. But nonetheless, Shane is this kind of gender neutral name in the modern world. So like every time I'm on the phone to a call center operator, 99.9% of the time they "Ma'am" me. Oh really? Yes. I? Ma'am. Ma'am. <laughs> just today I upgraded my phone on Vodacom and the person behind the count behind the voice ma'amed me the whole way through. <laughs> and you know, I it, when I was younger, I was very Conscious of it that maybe I was sounding like a queen or that I was sounding like a girl. And I would think, oh, maybe I'm like the first time I heard my voice on a on a tape recorder, I thought, that's what's wrong with me. I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body. Mm. So I fretted about that. And then there was a scope article uh-huh. about a woman, a man who transitioned into a woman. And I was like really curious about that. And for a long time I secretly thought that maybe I was like transgender, because I feel such affinity to women. I feel like, you know, I I feel, I feel like I hear a woman. I don't, mm. I don't, I don't, I don't like what men do, mm. you know, uh, uh, you know, that sort of war and rugby bloodletting is not my scene, you know, mm-hmm. but um, you then kind of like grow into yourself, I think. Um, which, which opens up a whole lot of other things around what people might think about, you know, gender reassignment surgery and stuff like that, you know, like, um, you know, there's a, there's, there's, there's criticism in the UK, for instance, around teenagers being afforded gender reassignment surgery. Yeah, I'm
0: also feeling quite and, uneasy in my body when I hear that. And,
1: uh, uh, uh hey, you know, um, you know, and I, I know that this this will be a, uh, a a topic that will get people into hot water. But I think we need to go ghastly on our bodies. Gatly is a Zulu word means go gently, mm. go, go nicely, mm. go gently with our bodies. We're too cruel. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know, in, in as I was telling you about the 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 violence portrayed in the sort of. Uh, what, what people are talking about rape culture, you know, and, you know, people are like wanting to be raped, people are, wan- are like wanting to act out rape stuff, and that sort of troubles me in a many levels, but it's sort of thinking, okay, well, you know, if it's controlled, and, and there's all consent involved, and there's a little bit of slap and tickle, I mean, that's probably not rape, that's just acting out some kind of fantasy, but, you know, how far... Are we going to go on this kind of stuff? If you know, it just, it's just—it's just—it's just a wondering. Yes, know? yeah, and no, and no, um, you say we
0: hard, and I feel you know the, the the right piece is because we are so contrived and locked yes, that we need
1: to be almost violated so we are yes, allowed to feel. Yes. It's like in medieval times, the monks were whipping yes. themselves. So here in the modern days, people are also like whipping themselves, and I'm wondering. To harm the body in such a way, cool, that's uh, 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 consent and all that kind of thing. But then sometimes people are allowing themselves to be abused in these situations because they're so desperate to be affirmed because we live in this very anti-sex. It's not a sex-positive culture. No, it's 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 the shadow
0: shadow of uh, being ravished and the shadow is being raped. Being taken Taken. with juice and love Love and passion passion. and scratch your back, and instead of being raped and whipped Whipped. and humiliated, and and we don't know how to ravish ourselves because there is
1: um, no space for that. So, so just just touching on how the art work and how Magpies process plays into that, I think what I've seen is what what. Scott and Sean do physically by taking these disparate objects and turning them into things that are beautiful, it's kinda like a metaphor for many yeah. people's experiences of sex and sexuality. It's broken, it's disparate, and it takes time to compose to that beautiful uh, composition. And yeah, more recently the 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 recycling work has also evolved into memory work where people bring family heirlooms and yeah. those get brought yeah. in. So there's a reconfiguring of of memory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. which that's that's stuff I'm finding very, very interesting. Yeah. In the it's like the What's pieces important. that are
0: dismembered, they yes, come, together, come together, together into a new body. body. An expression. That's really beautiful. That's mm. why it's so fascinating mm. for me, because mm. when I look at the object, yeah. I see the final picture which is Totally seductive. And then nice. I go and I look at all the pieces and I notice the broken, the abandoned. So, yeah, this, this new body of work created by the, the, the little lost pieces. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's the fascinating wonderment of being a human in, in the planet for me. That also out of, you know, like even when you tell me about your journey and, uh, you know, and where you are right now, it fills your
1: life it's actually the the artwork so a couple years ago i um I thought I wanted to do something academic, so I enrolled in a master's program um at Lancaster University, and um wrote up a a, a dissertation on Quakers and sex work because you asked me earlier on how do I frame my spirituality and for years it's been like a very difficult thing for me to say I am a this so the closest thing I can kind of like say that I am is because I'm a Quaker you know so and what's a Quaker? Quakerism is a religious ideology that is rooted in it's rooted in conflict because historically it was a religious perspective that grew out of the 1650 civil war in the United mm. Kingdom and it was the time of Cromwell, the beheading of Charles I and just a plethora of a whole world turned upside down that led to a whole manifestation of different kinds of religious groups and the Quakers grew out of that. Mm anti-patriarchal, anti-establishment, kind of. And over 350-odd years, it sort of evolved into a kind of uh, religious ideology that for a number of years I felt very comfortable in Hmm. um, framing myself as. I'm very drawn to the... um, the pacifist tradition that's strong within the Quaker movement yeah. um, and it's sort of it's sort of um, the first time I went to a Quaker meeting was about thirty two years ago, and I sat in that meeting and thought, well, this is an interesting experience of Worshipping in silence, sitting in a silent meeting And um, So you could go in there and be a Christian Uh You could go in there and be a Buddhist Beautiful Go in there and be a non-theist And Mm. just enjoy the experience of being in a quiet space In a simple structure a very simple theological underpinning. So because I'd had this experience with sex work and this experience with religion, it was it kind of like, was a tapestry for me, a transformative process of coming together and um, asking my own religious community, okay, at the end of the day, what do you, what do you really think? Mm. about this phenomenon and also framing prostitution as sex work. How Mm. would you respond to this? So there was a broad range of opinion and I wrote it up and um, I'm thinking of um, doing something around that area academically in in the near future. Um, But... um, so so that was an area that I kind of felt I had to sort of sew together, you know, piece together and make some kind of sense of. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm of this radical opinion that I think that you can be a sex worker and a person of faith. Absolutely. And, uh, all of these very complex things. And the true artist uh, of life. And when it comes to... to to Magpie, I think that there's something that speaks about transformation in, in all of this, and I've kind of thought that maybe this is kind of like about a theme, you know, that what we do professionally in our business lives as an art studio producing artwork is we transform Seemingly disparate objects into something else, something that's desirable, yeah, um, something that is beautiful, yeah. something that adds value to people's lives, um, yeah. and also touches on some of the other messages that we pick up in the zeitgeist, you know, yeah, our need to be kinder to the world, our need to do something to shift our economies to more um, circular economies where we're taking our waste and using it, giving it to mm. the second generation. Mm. So I think a lot of what we have been doing for a number of years is kind of part of a kind of stuff that we find in the zeitgeist and it sort of manifests in this it kind of way. Like that. So yeah um living out here in a small farm community in a, uh you know a little village like Barrydale it's as you say it's the edge of the clan Karoo it's got all the elements that uh, tell the story of Barrydale from Koi times to colonial times to the contemporary times that we're living in mm. and the, the memory of apartheid, people being moved from one side of town to the other, is in the living memory of people yeah. in this community. And um, this is a community that is affected by poverty, violence, love, People with great potential, one of our young uh, matriculants has just like, gotten distinctions. Uh, it's this like... Proud. <laughs> and we, and like, me... we know this person, we know her granny, we know her, br- her uncles, we know her mum. And it's like a beautiful thing. So, you know... It's... But tell me about
0: this other project you mentioned earlier that you want to bring also Ah, in
1: the Queer Project. The Queer Fairies. The Queer Fairies. So way back in history, in the 1930s and 40s, there was a group called the Mattachine Society in the US. And they were a think tank, an advocacy activist group that looked, its objective was to decriminalize homosexuality. And it was like a pre-gay liberation front movement. Mm. And in this group was a person by the name of Harry Hay, who had some radical anarchist thinking. He was a rad thinker, but his thing that really stuck out was he became a great inspiration in a movement of gay people who... Because of being excluded from religious communities in America, people started to find space in what most people would say alternative spiritualities. Mm. And lots of people explored Wicca, um, the old religions, shamanism. And Harry Hay, I think, was about taking this kind of neo-pagan movement and finding a way of giving it a political and a spiritual and a sexual dynamic. So I think that that's what underpins all of this. And it was also about not assimilating. It's not saying, oh, well, I'm gay and I'm queer and that I have to assimilate. I have to look and be like a man all the time, you know, to be acceptable. Or you know, two women living together—they need to dress and behave and and subscribe to what the heterosexual patriarchy says women should dress or like mm. men how they should speak, how we should be, how we mm. should walk, you know what uh, careers we should choose, you know mm. all these kinds of things uh, where people are not necessarily uh, legislatively pushed out in societies where we've achieved you know uh, gay civil rights I'm not talking about I'm talking about the unspoken pushing out of Mm, people mm. into spheres of the economy and spheres of the political life and social life of the world and it's very very strong in religious communities religion is part and parcel of what drives sexual hysteria religion has to account for that I'm afraid yeah 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 and religion also has to account for the violence against women. Absolutely. It has to account for the violence against sex workers, for the criminalization of it. Violence against because children. Violence against <laughs> It is the key dominant ideology that has driven all of this pathology. Yeah. And it's manifest so beautifully in the Roman Catholic Church, mm. which has become nothing more than a boy grooming machinery. Yeah. Because really at the end of the day Who the fuck are they To tell us how to live our lives When they've been fiddling with boys Under their kilts For exactly. hundreds of years yeah. We've only been hearing the stories Of the 40s and the 50s as, as ordinary people have started to have Voice Yeah, Who knows what has happened before. And gone before yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, What the radical queer fairies do is they radically claim their own sexual and religious selves and their political selves in one. Mm. And it's not about assimilating. It's saying, I am different. I don't want to be um, assimilated into anything. I am different. I am me. I am me. I you am are this you, gift. This is yeah. love. You I are am you. this gift from the divine and Absolutely. I ought to you be are me. a manifestation of that divinity yeah. in space, in yeah. the world that we live yeah. in.
0: And and I think the greatest spiritual practice becomes stay true to who you are and not being assimilated. Because that's your offering to the world
1: if you're just you totally. If I think back if I had stayed true to one calling in my life, and that was to follow God and to mm. live out my life in the service of God, I felt very compelled mm. by that thought, by that feeling as a young person. I went away on mission camps for like a month and a half, two months at a time. It was wonderful. I filled my life with wonderful experiences. But a lot of it was driven by this kind of religious impulse. And so when I came out gay, you know, because at some point I had to, because it was like a volcano, you know. (laughs) And, but, you know, I could have gone on with marrying the missionary's daughter who I was about to get engaged to and become a district licensed minister and a finally ordained, and probably would have gone around somewhere and set up a congregation, and it would have been big, mm. because I like people, I get along with people, and um, you know, about when when I was doing my masters in Quaker studies, I thought to myself, you know, instead of moaning that there is a a Quaker meeting in Cape Town and thinking, Oh, I'm so far away from my home meeting and I don't get a chance to go to meeting. Instead of seeing myself as an isolated Quaker, why not just say, Hey, let's start having meetings here in Barrydale. and That's what happened. So for the last four or five years, the first Sunday of every month, there's a Quaker meeting here and people come from all over the village and sometimes from all over, from out of town and wherever. And I feel more and more integrated the older I get. I feel less separated from Hmm. the different aspects of my sexual self, my creative self, my spiritual self. It's not a complex no. And I think that when, when you oppress people sexually, you create pathology. Mm. That's why you have priests fiddling with little boys. Of course. Because they, they themselves. And, you know, people say, oh, but you've got to be a monk, you know, and you've got to be chaste and all that kind of thing. Fine. But why can't the Catholic Church open up a way for priests and nuns to be in uh, valid relationships? Why not? You know what, know, they will, fi- you know, th- they will find, find more people in their yes. churches, they will find more people speaking to these pastoral figures, there will be more, they're not thinking. Also what they're thinking I about think... is holding on to a barrage of superstition and hierarchy which they for which they hold their power.
0: That's the point, it's political power, you know. And so when you split sex and spirit, you have a, a population of confused and scared people that then you can control. And when spirit and sex are marrying each other in the body of a being, that's power, that's individuation. Absolutely. Then you're not afraid. Then you know who you are. Then you claim your rights. Then you don't go for war. Then you don't go and work as a slave. You know, there is a lot of things that you'll start not doing. You're not going to spend so much money at the shopping mall. Because you are empowered, you know who you are. But when you split the sex and spirit, then there is this tremendous gap, is a vortex that sucks in and produces fear and disconnection. But tell me then about this gathering with Diverging, the queer, the queer. Are they coming to Barridale?
1: The queer fairy. What's happened mostly in Northern Europe and North America, Australia, New Zealand... Is a lot of gay people coming out finding that they have no place in the church because they can't function yeah. in the church because they're excluded. I mean, you can be the organist in the church. <laughs> that's okay, but we won't recognize your. But we, you, you can you can use your skill to help us worship. Yeah, you know, but we can't use we can't recognize your relationship. We can't allow you to dispense the communion. Yeah, or. Dispense marriage or... Like there is view. a limit yes, to your spiritual oh, you can come and you can sit in the back pew. Yes. Like another form of apartheid. Yes. Hello. So we are sick as gay people, queer people, we are sick of that. We really, really, really are. And people are finding solidarity in other uh, manifestations of... They're creating denominations of their own. And I would say that the Radical and Queer Fairies is a kind of like a spiritual political movement that embraces a whole lot of these elements. So when you have like a gathering of fairies, they'll open the gathering with a special ritual, which will be performed by one or two or three people from within the group. So it's an attempt at egalitarianism within that grouping of people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I find that very appealing Mm. and it's not about saying to people no you can't do this you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that it's about yes you can do this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we can claim our own spiritual spaces so for me you know not sitting back and saying oh you know I'm separate from my Quaker community so why not why not so There's a community evolving here. Now, some of my friends from the fairy movement have been having gatherings. They've been having, people have been having gatherings all over the show for decades, probably about 40, 50 years, I would say, even more. Um, And some groups of fairies have managed to purchase remote places like. Lodges and places like that, where they go to, and they have retreats, and they'll do things like tantra and you know the sort practices of, of liberation, different sabbats and yeah. different ceremonies for different yeah. solstices and different seasons, and people will go, and some people will be clothed, some people will be naked, naked. some people will anyway so they've had one global gathering in the uS. They had another global gathering in the UK and then there was a decision made at the last global gathering that they needed to do something in the global south. And like where would you do that in the global south? You could do it in Australia physically, Mm -hmm. but Australia is very much of a Western country. Where in South Africa – you know, that has the sort of legal framework that could, you couldn't do it in Uganda. You know, imagine 120 families from all over the world converging to a, a gathering and just outside of Kampala. You know, they would be macheted. Of course. Because that's the true story yeah. of people in refugee camps all over Africa that have run away from places like that. They'd be chased away by fellow villagers by machetes. Yeah. True God. Yeah, that is yeah, that's how it Africa. is happening, yeah. And so, you know, uh, there was a, a, a recce done, and uh, a representative of the organizing committee came out here, and uh, people had gotten hold of me through a whole other series of um, I guess magical connections. Um, yeah, I, I, I once went to an HIV conference, in well, I've been to many HIV conferences, but. One, um, I, I presented a paper on male on frontline work with male sex workers at a conference, in AIDS conference in uh, Switzerland mm. in 1998, and I was like sitting with a whole bunch of people in a cafe type thing, and the, most of the people were like going to the AIDS conference, so everyone was foreigners and. People were talking, and this this researcher who was doing stuff in France. Said to me, "Hey, Shane, have you ever have you ever come across the the queer fairies?" And I said, "Queer fairies?" He <laughs> I'm a queer fairy, and he said, "And so is my friend." And they we, we want to know, have you ever? I said, "I've never heard of it." So I mean, that was my so first it's coming back and I came back, and you know, and I've joined different radical queer groups and that online on social media and stuff like that. And, you know, you sort of land up talking to people here and there, but it sort of, yeah, I mean, there was a like a South African fairy group on Facebook and like you can't find it anymore. You know, it just mm. like disappeared because mm. people lost interest. Mm. So anyway, we've, we've, we've identified Fadon um, Wartebach as a venue, so it's been booked out and it's happening in February of this year.
0: 2020? Now! 2020
1: from oh, the wow. there's a global gathering of radical fairies. It's oh G- my
0: god, I must come! Of course you February, must come! When?
1: Now, between the 15th and 24th of February. Oh my god, if you that's go, amazing! If you go onto www.ggrf.online Uh, take a scout around the website Global Gathering Radical radical Fairies GGRF dot Dot online online yeah go and have a look and if it appeals to you and you want to come totally totally I always register.
0: I'm I'm queer I always you know like class for me queer is not even you know, like in all this now naming of, of, of sexual preference, lesbian, gay, heterosexual, bisexual, trisexual. For me, I'm just a human being. I'm just
1: a human being. But
0: I'm, 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 a, I'm queer because I want to break all constraint. So even to call myself... A bisexual it's a naming and i want to break through that so for me queer is always been that is that it can be anything it's the quindom yes this is not the kingdom the kingdom is so linear and is possessive the quindom is spatial and is orgasmic It's the feminine energy of being alive in the world that that um it's like water make is its path it doesn't go what is the defined you know they're always gonna push some of the edges here and round around there so i love queer i i would i identify myself as i kind as of queer. i kind
1: of like it more and more as a as a as a convenient label because you know it doesn't it doesn't mean that you know i don't want to be close to women yes you exactly know, like um you know does this mean that you know that 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 you know i'm not viable anymore or open in my head to a sexual encounter or a sexual experience because like no gay you know you're supposed exactly. to stick to your exactly. own recipe and that becomes know.
0: also so bounded and, and and
1: so i have all these thoughts of liberation and freedom and okayness in my head and um but you know I, I, uh, I've managed to sustain a relationship with a man <laughs> for nearly a quarter of a century in a yeah. homophobic world, ah. you know, in a sexually hysterical world. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's about where you want to be, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, But I, you know, I was like really interested once um, a friend of mine told me about a, a a guy that she knew who was in her words, a raging queen. And his boyfriend um, died and they were together for years and years and years. And she said that the next thing he started, to ha- like he, he grieved and the, like the grieving was appropriate. And he wasn't a sexually like inquisitive person. He wasn't like going out there, you know, clubbing and carrying on, you know, and, you know, living the high life, you know, post the death of the partner. This person just like went on and just gravitated towards a really cozy relationship with another woman. And the next thing, these two were deeply in love. And so my friend said that she could still see, like, the queen. Yeah. But here the queen was relating to this woman. And she said, she, she said you could see the sexual energy. But have, uh, anyway, that was, like, 20, that's freedom. 20 years ago. I mean, that's and true that's freedom. That's freedom. Yeah. That's not labeling somebody and um, putting people into a a very and demanding the, box.
0: And the it just because I was with a man I means I am this and I'm going to end up like that. It's just I am me. Every day I change. Like the weather, like the world, and I would could like something today and tomorrow something else mm. because I'm finished with that experience. Mm. When we live it fully mm. and it's done, then mm. there is a new me that is ready for another piece. Mm. Let's see what it looks like. Let's see. Yes. And that's fascinating yes. for me because when I don't know who I am, yes. I can be anything yes. beyond yes. my imagination, yes. really beyond. Yes. And. An engage in experience that I couldn't even imagine. Not to say, oh, I always wanted to do that one day I will do. No, I never even imagined I could like this or become that. And here I am. And it's true. And I'm here and I'm loving it. And then life becomes really... Like unfolding mm. you know orgasmic for mm. me that's the orgasm that mm. is the energy that expands outwardly mm. into the unknown, mm. and mm. it's just such a pleasure to be mm. myself mm. because I keep entertaining mm. myself
1: you and know, surprising myself for, for me it's like when people say like uh, what do you what do you find hot you know like what's sexy for you you know you know it's just just at lunchtime when scott was cooking here in the kitchen and we we do lunch together with his mum and you know we eat together as a family every lunchtime and just just to run my hand down his back like this just while he's standing there just to just in the talking just to do that to me that is like it's super hot. Super hot.
0: Yeah. Yes. Because it's, it's a history that is a simple gesture, but it's everything. Everything. Yes. You live together yes. and you express yeah. your yes. work, your intimacy. You
1: leave You leave the toothpaste on your toothbrush for each other every day. Uh, That's a little thing. If I'm there first, I do it first. If he's there first, he does it. Huh. And it's like that silly little thing. Because like if it doesn't happen, it's like what's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but so far the weather like, has changed. <laughs> yeah, actually we don't we haven't that because even 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 if we've had words between us, um, we still do that. It's like is the underlying. It's the uh, that no matter what. Yeah. You know, um, and yeah, it can be pretty heated. You know, you can say things because you're annoyed, you're tired. You misinterpret the person's interaction, or the, uh, um, you know, and then you've still got to be intimate with that, that what you're angry at, you know. So, you know, it's like, you, 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 I think relationships help you to expand yourself in a way that, um, just pushes you
0: yeah, I think that's the pearl of being human that we need another one to get to know more about ourselves. Mm. we can't do it alone mm. and yet it's an alone journey. Mm. The conversation with God mm. for me in my experience is mm. it's a solo conversation mm. it's so internal, mm. and yet through the others, it deepens yeah. you know we get to know so much more so
1: well this 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 lovely concept in African culture that we We sort of go on, but it's like almost pastiche, you know, that it's like, oh, yeah, Ubuntu, you Mm. know. But do people really, do they really know what that thing is? Ubuntu is about relationships with people and you only finding your true humanity in that relationship. Yeah. And... um, there was, there, was a, there was an expression that I learnt early in my Quaker journey, and it was one of the founders of the movement, his name was George Fox in the 1650s, when someone said to him, you know, like, what is it about life that you have to do? You know, asked him a question, and he said, well, basically all there is to life and living is that you need to answer that of God in every man. Hmm. Now you can critique that and go oh he's speaking as a man speaking about god in the masculine form and he's not speaking about humanity but it's about recognizing divinity in hmm. every person. And I actually I I came away from hearing that quote in a in a Quaker meeting and walking down the the street And just walking and seeing people in their physicality walking up and down and seeing men and women and white people black people and this is peter maritzburg people of indian descent and it was like the 80s you know it was like that's what church street was like looking like and i was thinking that of god and every man god and every person wow i'm not just relating to the physicality of the being, I'm relating to something bigger in every person. Hmm. And in a way that sort of helped me find a language for my sexuality because then you couldn't see the distinctiveness between uh, and, and therefore your politics is about ultimately promoting egalitarianism, I think, yep. equality. Because if you, if you are pushing somebody because of race, class or creed, or not allowing to, them to live their full exponential value as a person, you, you undermining you devi- you're undermining you, you, God. You're undermining God, yeah. You, you,
0: you, you're missing that recognition and that's what all life is yes, about.
1: Yes, yes. So if somebody had to say to me, oh my goodness... So you were studying to be a minister of religion, and then you dabbled a bit in social work and a bit of sex work. and da, 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 da. Life's a journey. Life's about transformation. It's about weaving all of these experiences that we have together. And that's what brings richness, I think, into a picture, is people bring their experience uh, into into the world in which they occupy and then they manifest the benefit mm. of all the stuff yeah that's got even if it's not being pretty yeah even absolutely if it's being especially sometimes or abusive, or stigmatized or uh, you know I am I'm am actually glad that I kind of was made to feel, like, really uncomfortable in the particular religious group that I was in, because I don't think I would fit that brand, for want of a better word. It's just, it's like... Well, uh, it made you look for
0: more, I think, sometimes. These are the places where we get to look more deeply and in other places and you know, explore more and uh, yeah and, and I mean I think yeah, know, maybe for, that's the queer destiny we're never going to fit into it
1: we're anything. never going to fit in anywhere, and we're going to keep on looking and creating the world and that, instead of fighting it and instead yeah, of, just live it and celebrate it and let your it. Authentic make art self, of it make art of it you know it's 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 you have to be the protagonist of your world. You can't let other people or um, their opinions or their microaggressions or their, micro aggressions, all their uh, projections in mind towards you come in the way. Yeah. You need to create, you need to cast your own magic. Make your own magic, make a spell if you need to, I don't know. What is a spell? It's a prayer, it's Yeah, a, yeah. So it's a ritualized intention. I mean, it's nothing awful or scary. Um, I think people should... Um, we must take away the power of the church, yeah. the shul and the mosque and the temple, and we must bring our spiritual selves back into ourselves. And
0: uh, And be the protagonist I love how
1: you said it Of your own life And and if people want to gather In uh, formats Let them gather In those formats Ultimately at the end of the day We shouldn't abrogate Our responsibility for spirituality Onto other people Yeah, We have to take responsibility Totally You know um, it's, It's it's vital, you know, for keeping our own humanity, um, for reaffirming our sexuality and our and our rightful place mm. in 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 the landscape. Um, you know, and people say, "Oh, but we are not recognised in the church," well, I think, "Well, do you recognise yourself?"
0: Yeah, it's like, who cares? The church doesn't recognize me. I recognize myself. If they're not
1: going to recognize you, push the pew, do something physical, push it, and let it tumble and create the noise and walk out and go and create something else. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if they want to stay on in the realms of superstition, let them be. But don't let that stop you from living the full life that you that you should live. Hmm. And I mean, I think it's it's possible for people here in South Africa to do that. We're not living under an oppressive regime. Hmm. It's not overly militarized. It's not... Um, there's actually
0: a lot of space there's here. A, there's a lot of physical space. Yeah. There's the space in between. In between. Bureaucracy.
1: And, and there's possibilities for uh, us to experience... More kindness. I mean, yes, we do have a very violent society. It, it is, and that's because patriarchy has allowed it. Yeah, because but that's also served, a reflection all,
0: all over the world. Maybe here is more visible, and uh, in the in Europe it's more covert.
1: Yes, it's nuanced. Yes, yeah.
0: but the you know the world is violent. Here it's in your face. We see it, and yeah. so. It's actually make us
1: do something about it more. Yeah, you know, our our gallery is right in front of the bottle store here, and so there's a lot of people with alcohol problems who sort of hang out here. You know, and there's a you know as I've said to you, there's a lot of extreme poverty, a lot of uh, what I would say undiagnosed mental health issues mm-hmm. um, because our uh, health services don't have the capacity to, one, reach out, two, to to uh, make the connections with mental health and to help people, you know, more sufficiently. But anyway, that's another discussion. But I think that If you're part of a pool of people where you've experienced endemic alcoholism for generations and generations, and people are born successively with fetal alcohol syndrome, I think that it just makes life very, very difficult for people, Um, and there's there's some really sad situations. Can we just stop this, and then we'll carry on, I just want to see who's up there.
0: You go. So this is it. I think Shane is being called upstairs into the gallery. And um, he's not coming back. (laughs) I'm still sitting in his wondrous apartment downstairs, full of eye candy, an emotional piece of uh, junk turned into ecstatic art. And... um, Yeah, I'm going to leave you here from this ecstatic wonderment of the joy of art that transforms life and um, I'm going to give you all the detail about the magpie in the description of this episode so please do go and look up the beautiful, the magnificent chandelier that they're making and I believe they just released a coffee table book and um, yeah and I find you In the next episode, (coughs) next week's, let's see who's showing up at the Laboratory of Love. Um, Thank you for listening and being with me. And um, stay beautiful and stay in wondrous joy. Life can be truly amazing only if you wish it to be so. I love you. Ciao.